0: Thank you, Bert. Good evening, everyone. Could you turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1? 2 Timothy 3, 1. Thank you for the uh, the prayers for my good friend, Captain Ray Perkins. Rapid Ray's back in the fold here. Good to see him. When I pulled up, I saw his truck there. I was like, yes! The coffee will be nice and made. And I love when somebody's already here. I was like, oh, this is cool. Good to see you, Ray. As I tell you, Ray and I like to bike ride on uh, usually Sunday afternoons when the weather's good after Bible class, the afternoon, and Ray goes easy on me. Ray could, uh, like, he'll go, I hope you don't mind me going out with me. He says, oh, yeah, basically it's his kind of, like, day to cool down when he rides with me. (laughs) Otherwise, he's like, bam, you know, like 20 miles an hour. But uh, good to have you back, Ryan. So, 2 Timothy chapter three, verse one. We're going to continue our study of the doctrine of inspiration. We'll be looking at uh, just for the whole evening, actually, Second Timothy three sixteen, because there's some things uh, in this uh, in this passage that uh, there's some details I'd like to t- uh, bring out to you uh, when um, interpreting this particular passage. And so, at the end of the day, um, we'll we'll have a. Um, We'll have a very uh, uh, profound things, uh, assertion made about the scriptures that we'll see in this passage by the Apostle Paul just before he was executed by uh, Nero in, uh, in 68 AD. And so um, without further ado, let's take a moment of silent prayer. This is our custom. We take a moment of silent prayer, as you heard me say many times in the past. And this is, I know many of you know what I'm going to say beforehand, but uh, I do it anyways because um, there are people who listen to these recordings all around the world, we don't know who's listening to us because through we'll the podcasts and the websites, and, the, and I'll get uh, an email from somebody who said, "Oh, they listen to the, the, the podcast that uh, you, you broadcast uh, in Huntsville or wherever." It, you know, so I was like, "You never know." So let's take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any. Mental verbal or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1:9, if we confess our sins to the Father, he, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, he purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. Uh, we maintain that fellowship, of course, by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures, which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit and Colossians 3:16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell on our souls. And if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, do what First Peter 5, 7 says. Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads by and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day that you've given to us to study Bible doctrine, your Word, your Almighty Word, which is alive and powerful. We thank you, Father, for uh, this—the uh, translations that we have in our hands, the English translations that we have, and the scholarship and the men that and women that work behind these translations and these committees that. Over the years, we thank you, Father, for the English translation of it. You know, 300 years ago, Father, the King James, as you know, was the only thing that was around in English, and uh, Tyndale's translation. So we just thank you so much for what we have today. We're truly blessed, and that uh, truly that uh, the plowboy did get the Word of God in his translation, in his in his language, uh, just as uh, Tyndale and Wycliffe, your servants, uh, wanted to see. And uh, we just also thank you for everyone that is in this uh, this chapel here this evening. We thank you for them and uh, taking time out from their daily lives and to hear what your word has to say, what you have to say through the study of your word. We thank you for this place, to this beautiful chapel that to uh, to meet in, and uh, we thank you for uh, Kirk's work at making sure this uh, these floors get done and look fantastic, and the building brings glory and honor to you, Father. And uh, it shows how much we value this place that we have been given to us to study your word. And I just pray, Father, today that you would help me to bring forth your full counsel today with regards to this passage in 2 Timothy 3.16 and the things that we're gonna be noting, and uh, some of which are, because of going back to the original languages, be difficult and just help your people tonight to concentrate and to be patient as I try to deliver uh, break down this verse and what it's saying and also ultimately to get the, the big picture of this verse, what the Holy Spirit was saying through your servant Paul two centuries, 2,000 years ago. I pray that you would help everybody in the audience to, to understand and to concentrate and to uh, make application and to enjoy what they're being taught and I pray that they would receive the necessary spiritual nourishment and help me to uh, make that happen by having you use your spirit mightily through me and bringing forth your full counsel tonight with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power. And as a result, I pray that all of us would praise you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and continue to go forward in your plan to become like your Son, Jesus Christ, in thought, word, and action. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 is where you should all be, and we'll get there momentarily. We're continuing our doctrine of, study of the Doctrine of Inspiration. It's our third hour. It's a seven-hour series. And uh, as I said before in previous classes, it'll be followed by the doctrine of inerrancy and then the history of the English Bible. So that would have to mean that we've done canonicity, inerrancy, inspiration, history, English, Bible, all constitute what we call, the uh, bibli- uh, fall into the category of theology called Bibliology, the study of the Bible. And this is very important, of course, because uh, we, we as Christians, as evangelical, Bible-based, Bible-believing Christians, We believe that the Bible is inspired by God, inerrant, and all that it affirms. And so therefore, we need to, as we said before in candidacy, we need to understand why we believe what we believe. Why do we believe this? Why do we believe the Bible is inspired by God? Why do we believe it's inerrant? Why do we believe it's inspired by God? Why is it in the canon of Scripture? Why do we believe these things so that for our own selves and in our own walk with God, we might have assurance and confidence in this Bible that we have in front of us. And also also to be able to minister to other people in the body of Christ that don't know these things. And, uh, and that God might bring into your life, uh, and also, of course, to defend the Bible from its attacks. As you can, as I put it, on many times in previous uh, studies in canonicity, the Bible is under attack in this country, which is a manifestation that the devil is doing a, a mighty work here in America today. Because if you look at the uh, the attitude of uh, people in this country back in when this country was founded, uh, even by the people like Jefferson, who was a deist people like that they had a respect for the bible they might not have believed in jesus christ as their savior or fulfilled prophecy or anything like that but they did have a respect for the bible that's pretty much di- diminished and pretty much not the case in our country now especially in, in, in intellectual circles and and also in the public discourse uh the bible is laughed at and frowned upon considered myth legend and whatnot you've heard all those uh, arguments against it and so we're in enemy territory, and Satan, is, as he did from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, he's attacked the Bible. He's questioned, he's caused us to doubt the Bible and even contradict what the Bible says. So this is where we are, and the devil's world shouldn't surprise us. Uh, and it's uh, actually a great opportunity because of this day and age that we're living in America in the 21st century it actually gives us a great chance to be kind of like the great saints of the Old Testament like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego where they were in enemy territory, they, they were in a country that was not friendly to the Bible at all of the Old Testament, in fact they were captives of the southern kingdom of Judah and it looked like their God was a complete failure because in the ancient world uh, if your your nation was destroyed it's because your gods got defeated by somebody else's Gods, So they all thought that, oh, we we defeated the God of Israel and he's nothing compared to the gods of Babylon. Well, God uh, showed uh, Nebuchadnezzar that is not the case. And so we have an opportunity because we're in these difficult times to actually be be great witnesses and, 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 and great heroes of faith in our day and age, invisible heroes. And so we got to, but to do that, we must be equipped in our Bible classes and be ready to defend and understand why we believe what we believe, to defend it against its, the Bible, the attacks against the Bible, and also minister our brothers and sisters in Christ, even in other ministries and other churches that might not know this stuff because they're not being taught this stuff. So uh, in this doctrine of in, uh, inspiration, we had a definition and we pointed out that the, the definition of the doctrine of inspiration. The doctrine of inspiration contends that God, the Holy Spirit, so supernaturally uh, moved uh, in, uh, the human authors of Scripture, without coercing their volition, without changing their literary uh, uh, way they their, their literary uh, talents or their their likes or dislikes. God, complete, connected thought to mankind, was recorded with perfect accuracy in the original languages of Scripture. Every portion of Scripture has been inspired by God. They're the very words of God. They bear the authority of God. The Bible does. So, the Scriptures claim that they are inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. And thus, tonight, when we approach this subject, we're going to let the Scripture speak for itself. In Second Timothy, chapter three, verse sixteen, is considered by many, and in, uh, in Christianity and biblical scholarship, as an internal argument for the inspiration of the Bible. It's an internal argument for the inspiration of the Bible. So if this verse is internal proof uh, for the inspiration of the Bible, then we must have an accurate translation of what the text actually does say. However, there are differences of opinion regarding the translation of this verse, as I'll show you. But I will say, before we go any further, uh, the NIV does a great job of translating this particular verse. So, let's look at 2 Timothy 3.1. Well, let's read in context. I'm going to read all the way to 2 Timothy 4.2. And the reason why I'm going to do that is I want us to look at this passage, 2 Timothy 3.16, in its context. And uh, because this is very important, because Paul's basically in these verses, 2 Timothy three fourteen, 14, uh, and all the way to, to 2 Timothy 4, 2, he's actually uh, exhorting Timothy to remain faithful, despite the apostasy that he was living in in the, in in the Roman province of Asia, and particularly in Ephesus, in the 60s of the first century AD. Paul is exhorting him to remain faithful, be persevering, in this time of apostasy, and we live in days of apostasy in our country right now. So he's trying to exhort Timothy in this section of the epistle to remain faithful. So it says in 2 Timothy 3.1, but mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. We are in the last days. We studied this in Jude. The last days begin with the first advent of Christ in particular, his death, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. So, the last days. When we think of the last days, don't think of it as a you know a week, seven days. You know, it's like a whole period of time that's now stretched all the way for two thousand years. It will end of course, uh, with the, uh, the rapture of the church. So mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Sounds like our culture that we live in, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Having nothing to do with such people. Have nothing to do with such people. And that would tell us he's talking about Christians in apostasy, because he would not have. He, he, he only has the authority to tell them to stay away from uh, the Christians in apostasy, not the non-believers. You'd have to go out of the world, as he says to the Corinthians in First Corinthians five, when he's talking about church discipline with them, and they didn't discipline somebody, and uh, Paul was angry with them. And so he wanted them, he, when he says, uh, if you look at Matthew 18, 15 through 17, after they go through the three stages of church discipline, you're to be not having anything to do with that person till they do repent of what they're doing, their sin that they're involved in, which would, for a Christian would be confession of sin and then obeying the word of God. Then he says in verse 6, they are the kind who worm their way into homes <clears throat> and get, to gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth and experiential knowledge. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers who oppose the truth. So they are false Christian teachers and apostasy. Then they said, these men are of depraved minds who, as far as their faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. And they'll see that at the Bema seat, of course, if they die the sentence to death. Verse 10, you, however, contrast to these false teachers, and apostasy, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Uh, so he's basically saying, Timothy, you've seen the example I set for you. So you're going to go through these things, maybe not in the measure I did, but you're going to go through them. And so therefore, you have an, a living example to follow as an example. So then he says in verse 12, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not every day of your life, but at times in your life as a when walking with God, if you're in God's plan, you will face persecution, whether it's in your job, you're in your neighborhood, or wherever. It could take place anywhere. And of course, this is not... All the time, this is going to be at periods in your life that you're going to be persecuted. It's a promise, it says. And so then it says, while well, it says in verse 12, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, like myself. And also from his grandmother and his mother, who taught him doctrine as a little boy, and so up to his, to his teenage years, and how in infancy, see so here we go, you have known the holy scriptures, and that would be the Old Testament, because the New Testament was in the process of being written when Paul wrote Second Timothy. So he says the, the, the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the great thing about us, we have the completed canon of Scripture. Yes, Timothy had uh, Revelation, uh, the, the New Testament Revelation that we have in writing today. He had it through Paul and the other apostles, but we have it in writing. So uh, as I always said many times in the past, uh, the Old Testament uh, is, uh, is like a dimly lit room. B.B. Warfield, the great scholar, said this. The Old Testament is like a dimly lit room, but the New Testament is like a light shining into that dimly lit room. And so uh, that's why you see some people, they don't teach the Old Testament. They don't want to learn from the Old Testament. Very, very, very bad. I was having a conversation with a young man, and uh, he was talking about uh, you know, the Old Testament, the same thing I have just told you. Well, I said, no, 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 no. I said, the Old Testament is very important. You can't understand. The New New Testament makes no sense without the Old Testament and vice versa. They fit like a glove. And I said, as I said to you, the New Testament is like a bright, shining light that goes into this dimly lit room, the Old Testament, and helps us understand the types of the Old Testament, like in the old Levitical sacrifices and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is a perfect example of that. What are, what were these Old Testament sacrifices about? What do these animals themselves represent? And so the New Testament sheds light on that. So he's saying the Old Testament is uh, is is very important to Timothy and it was a part of his. It was allowed. It was uh, pointing him to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And there were a lot of things that he learned in the Old Testament that were very important in his walk with God before he even heard Paul teach. And uh, this is very important also to understand, because a lot of what Paul's saying in 2 Timothy 3, 6 about Scripture is primarily about the Old Testament. Because when he wrote this epistle uh, in uh, 2 Timothy, it's one of his last epistles, might be the last and so the 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 gospels were in the process of the sixties being written. The synoptic gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke they were probably completed when he wrote 2 Timothy. But the Gospel of John wasn't written yet, and either was First, Second, and Third John. And he was either was Revelation. They weren't written till the end of the first century, the last decade. So Paul's was some of the earliest writings that we that the, the that were put down and considered as scripture uh, by the people of the early first century under the apostolic command. So Then it says in verse uh, 16, Paul says, All Scripture is God-breathed, great translation as we'll see, and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. Here's why this is important. So that the servant of God, you and I, church-age believers, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then he says in chapter 4, verse 1, no chapter break in the original, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. In other words, in the pre- Christ is watching this at the right hand of the Father. The Father is watching this, the elect angels. And, of course, the Spirit here is speaking through me. And so the, this is the witnesses. You've got to carry out what I've asked you to do in this letter. He says, preach the word. Preach the word and be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And may I say to you, in this country, in America, even in the Bible Belt, it's amazing to me, you just look around you and you can go online now and listen to them. They don't believe it. A lot of pastors do not believe that the Bible is the word of God, inspired by God. Otherwise, they'd be preaching the word in season and out of season. What What he means by that is that when things are going great and people want to hear it, when people don't want to hear it. Whether there's 100, 100 people at, in, the, in the chapel or you have two people in the audience. It doesn't matter. If you believe the word of God is inspired by, is, is God breathe, then you will do, you'll preach the word as often as you can. But we don't have that going on in this country. And that's why the Christian community is lacking in its um, power and it's, uh, it's become impotent in this country because our leaders in this country don't believe that the Bible is inspired by God. Because if they, in fact, I told you that story when I was in when I moved, first moved back to Massachusetts, I was I used to go to this coffee shop, cafe Nero was called. And I loved it because it was very eclectic in the in the people. You could people Russian, uh, you know, all kinds of. Uh, you spoke Chinese, Korean, every kind of religion: Muslims, Christians, uh, what, atheists, gay, lesbian. Everybody in the plant was there, every of, of every ilk and, and ethnicities, language groups, and all that stuff. I loved it. You know? And uh, so there was this guy who's a Baptist pastor, and he was a young guy. He was in his 20s. And uh, I liked him. And so we were talking, he goes, you know, talking scripture. And we'd be there for like a couple hours talking, doctor. And, you know, we weren't like hushing our voices, like, I'm loud, anyways. And uh, so he, the people were listening to us. And what I found every time we were talking, I found that people that were Christians around me that I didn't know were Christians. Well, what happened is that they were getting the courage to speak about it because they hear us talking. We, we weren't ashamed about it at all. But my, my point I wanted to make about it was he's telling me, he says, you know what, Bill? He says, you're the first pastor I've met. I, he was from New, New Jersey, okay? You know, Tony Soprano town. He, he was from New Jersey. And he said, you're the first pastor I've met in Massachusetts that believes that the Bible is inspired by God and is in I can have a conversation with a Bible doctor, Word of God, with you, but I've never found it in anywhere of these pastors. I said, that doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me at all. Because I, I mean, I I grew up in Massachusetts, and uh, it's obviously deteriorated quite a bit. I mean, I know a couple guys that teach the, the Word of God in Massachusetts. Not many. And they're there, but they're very, it's not like it used to be. It used to be the bastion of Christianity in America was New England. Okay? So... And I told you what Harvard was originally meant to be—a theological seminary for men and teach men the original lang- uh, the Greek, uh, the, uh, the biblical languages that were English-speaking. That's why they they came about. Now it's what are they? They're the bastion of human uh, sec- uh, secular humanism in post-modern America. So that tells you something. That's in New England. I found that to be in Iowa, and I, it's becoming in the Iowa, and even in the Bible Belt. What's the, here's the other thing: people say they're about Bible, right? But I'm just talking about pastors. They talk about it. But let me see you back it up. Teach these books. Teach the Bible. Teach the doctrine of the Trinity. Teach the, the book of uh, Colossians. Or teach the book of Genesis. Are you doing that? We wonder why the churches has become impotent in America and has no influence in the public discourse and in the public arena. Why? Because Christians don't know the Bible. They don't know their Bible. They don't know these doctrines. They can't think through, think their problems through with the Word of God, and they're they're just totally without, devoid of the Word of God in their souls because their pastors are not teaching the Word of God. They're not. And the other thing is, a lot of times they don't do it because they can't drive a crowd. Because we live in America, in, a country, in America now, where it's all about me, and it's all you you teach teach about you know, the the, the little, the the topics that everybody wants to hear about, you know, talk about dating, relationships, and marriage, or talk about something sensational, or talk about politics, and, you know, and and rant and rave about Biden. That'll draw the crowd. Oh, yes, they will. They'll love you like for that, but they're not doing their job. They're not teaching the Word of God. They don't really believe it's inspired by God, and so... The other thing is, they don't want to, these guys don't want to stand up and do the right thing because they want to draw a crowd. They want to keep their offerings up, so they're going to teach what they, the crowd wants. They're people-pleases like King Saul was, not God-pleases like David. And that's what's going on in the country. It has to, we need to pray that God will raise up more men in this country that will have the courage to teach the Word of God, despite around them people don't, not wanting to hear it. You've got to pray for that because this is what's the only hope that's going to save America because, you know, the Chinese can float their balloons across us all. Eventually, it's it's just going to be over for us. God's going to have enough. But it, it doesn't have to be that way. We need to raise up more men and leaders, Christian leaders, men who believe in the inspiration of Scripture that'll be faithful like Pastor Peak was for all this time, despite all the trials and tribulations he goes through. And he's, look at this, look at God used him and, you, and the people in this ministry who love the Word of God. There are very few people like him anymore. Okay? That generation, is, that generation of his is, is gone. Okay? And now what's the next generation going to do? And it's not looking good. So we need to pray for that, because this is what we, we're finding—a disaster in our hands in the church in America. God will tend to send the pivot somewhere else. He'll send it out to China if He needs to. And I know people in, in the Far East and and Pakistan and India—they're hungry for the Word of God. Africa—they'll they'll go 30 miles in their bare feet to hear the Word of God. I'm not kidding you. I had a guy who I sent over. They wanted me to come to Africa to speak uh, the word. I said, I'm not an ev- evangelist, and I have a congregation. I can't do it. So I sent my friend over, who was an evangelist. And he said, Billy, they were 30 miles in their bare feet to hear the word of God. Hundreds of them. Holy moly. So this is what we got going on in our country. So we see that preach the word, he told, he told uh, Timothy. Preach the word. This is his dying words. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. You can't do that as a pastor, and Timothy couldn't do that, if he didn't believe that he had in his hands God's breathed word. God's, exact God's words in writing, that God breathed words. That's what Paul, that's why Timothy was faithful. He believed that. He believed he had the Bible, you know, that his, his, the Scriptures were inspired by God, God-breathed. So, it's it, and if you look at my translation on the board of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it goes as follows, which I'm going to explain a little bit tonight, my translation. Each and every portion of Scripture, that's very important here, you know, you, your Bible say all Scripture, each and every portion of Scripture, that's more explicit, and I'll tell you why it, it's uh, even better than what you have. Not that, that, that that's bad. So every, each and every portion of Scripture does possess as an eternal spiritual truth the characteristic of, being God, characteristic of being God-breathed. Now, that phrase, as an eternal spiritual truth, is me bringing out to you the gnomic present in the Greek, which has the idea of a general timeless truth, an eternal spiritual truth. It's true all the time. It's a spiritual axiom. Then it goes on to say, it says, consequently, it, the Scripture, each and every portion of Scripture, does possess as an eternal spiritual truth the characteristic of being useful for teaching, for conviction, for correction, for training, which is related to righteousness. Verse 17, the purpose of which is that the person belonging to God would possess the characteristic of being competent. The Word of God makes you competent to represent God, rep- represent Jesus Christ to teach the Word of God to God's people as a pastor, or to share the Word of God and instruct others, even if you're a lay person, trying to help another brother or sister in Christ, or give the gospel out to uh, the the non-Christian. The purpose of all this, he says in verse 17, the purpose of which is that the person belonging to God would possess the characteristic of being competent, specifically by equipping for every kind of action, which is divine good and quality and character. So this verse contains what we call the figure of a cinditon, meaning that Paul's not using a connective word between verse 15 and verse 16. Now, the reason I'm bringing this out, not to impress you with, with my knowledge of the text, what I'm trying to bring out is what the original audience would have understood, uh, which would be Paul, and then the Christian community in, in Ephesus and the Roman province of Asia, what they would understand Paul to be saying. We're English-speaking people, and the translations are great, but I'm, my job is to bring out the text, even the stuff that, 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 that the translations is not able to bring out for you. So, this figure of a Ascendenton, we, we use it in English, every language. You, there's no connected word between verse 15 and 16. There's a reason why the writer is doing that. Here, it emphasizes the solemn nature of Paul's statement with regards to the Old Testament scriptures, which suggests that Paul is making an assertion about the scriptures. It's very emphatic, he's being very solemn here. When, he write, when he's writing this, about this affirmation about the Scriptures and the Old Testament Scriptures in particular. Now, as I said before, to prepare you, there's some very difficult uh, exegetical interpretive issues and, that, and decisions that one needs to make when we look at this verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. So, as I bring out some terms in Greek and I'll explain them what he's saying. It's not too difficult, but I don't want you to get, uh, I don't want you to get uh, intimidated by it, so just be patient with me, please. So here's the first one. The word for Scripture is graphe. It refers to various passages, passages of Scripture, or it is used in, uh, with a, in a collective sense, and if that's the case, then what does the collection refer to? So there's a question also as to whether or not the adjective pas, which is word all, uh, does it mean all, or does it mean each and every, or every? And then there's the word theopneustos, god breathe, which the NIV does a great job of translating. That's what exactly what it means. And, okay, how does that function? Is that functioning as a predicate adjective, which means it's making an assertion about the subject, or is it an attributive adjective? Now, the latter would mean God-breathed scripture whereas the former would mean Scripture is God-breathed. Consequently, should the verb "ame," which is the word is in the passage in your translations, the, uh, the, the, all Scripture is God-breathed, that's omitted due to the figure of ellipsis, but it's implied. And so, so if that's the case, the former would mean that Scripture is God-breathed, whereas the latter would mean God-breathed Scripture is something. So this results in a decision, people, as to whether or not chi, which is the word and. If you look at your uh, Bible, it says, uh, all scripture is God-breathed and, okay? There's a question how that is used here. So this results, in again, a decision as to whether or not chi is between God-breathed or profitable, and which would give us the translation God-breathed and profitable, or is it functioning as an adjunctive adverb, adverb this word uh, chi, also, resulting in the translation of God read scripture, is also profitable. So there's a difference. So now, as you look at this sh- slide on the board, the noun graphe, scripture, it's correctly translated, and it's used here, people, in a collective sense. It refers specifically to the Old Testament canon of scripture, because the New Testament, as I said before, was in the process of being written during the first century, and it was not completed until the end of the first century, and this is indicated by the fact that the word is used in this way often in the New Testament. Also, Paul's statements, which we read in Second Timothy three fourteen and fifteen, which that's why I had you go uh, start at Second Timothy three one, read that whole section. Paul's statements in these verses indicates that this is well, as since they refer to Timothy being raised. In the Old Testament scriptures. As you recall, 2 Timothy three fourteen and 15, Paul says, You remember, you were raised in the Old Testament scriptures. His mother and his grandmother raised him. There's no evidence that Timothy's father, who was a Greek speaking person, he wasn't Jewish, but his mother was and his grandmother. So, what was quite interesting there here's a grandmother and a mother who, in the father, Timothy's father doesn't seem to be positive of the Word of God. They actually got him into Bible doctrine. Think about that. And then he ends up being the protege of arguably the greatest believer of all time, Paul, because of by virtue of what he suffered. A grandmother and a mother who nobody knew about, probably nobody talks about, became a great, was, were, were, were used, by, used by the Holy Spirit to get their son, their son, her, their son and grandson to be, get positive to the Word of God, introduce him to it, get him immersed in it, get him, fall, get him to fall in love with it, prayed for him, and he became a great believer himself who died for the cause of Christ. Uh, Church history says he died at the hands of a mob in Ephesus. He was torn apart by a mob in Ephesus. And we can see what the mobs in Ephesus could be like. Look at Acts chapter 19. They tried to kill Paul. But they told Paul, stay out of the stadium. So it was a big-time city. You like New York City and get mugged by a thousand people. <clears throat> okay, that's how bad Ephesus could be, just like New York is today. So, Tia's to grandmother and a, and a and a mother, what an impact they made. And I make this point: don't ever underestimate your impact uh, in a prep school, teaching in a prep school, or teaching your ch- grandchildren or your children. I have this friend of mine, and she lives down a- and uh, in. Um, Down in Fairhope, and uh, you know her, she has a grandson, but the the, the, her son and the woman who he had the child with, they're not positives of the Word of God. One of them is a Christian, so but she's teaching that kid how to pray it's so funny, he'll, he'll send me, like, a little card or something. You know, she'll have him do it and write the card or whatever. And then she'd help him with it. And so he sends it off to me. And uh, so, but he's, she's teaching him how to, pay, to pray, talk, to, talking to him about the Word of God. I said, don't, don't you think that's you're... Don't, be encouraged. I said, you don't know what kind of effect you might be having on that kid. That kid might, that kid might turn out to be a great believer and a pastor somewhere. Or, or maybe not a pastor, but just a great believer that loves the Word of God and make a huge impact. You don't know. I said, keep doing that. And so the people who, you know, you, you know teachers, prep school teachers and, and parents raising their kids in the word of God, don't ever underestimate your impact and those people. I, think, I remember when I went to, uh, when I was at Bob's church and I taught in the prep school for years, I ran the prep school there. I loved it. And I loved the kids and the kids loved me. They used to call me the Pied Piper because I'm basically like a little kid. I'm just like a kid, just like them. So I got along with the kids because the kids got me. And I got the kids. So I'm sitting there, and I remember when I left, I was shocked. It's was like, oh, these people. The parents are crying. My best friends were crying. And the kids were like, you know, giving me these cards. And you read the cards, like, oh, well, I really, this, you know, I actually t- I looked like you did something here. <laughs> so you never under, So what I'm saying is, like, I didn't realize until I was leaving, oh, man, yeah, I actually had made an impact in these kids' lives. And so you never underestimate what you can do in a, a young person's life. I mean, look at Timothy's grandmother and mother. What a great impact they made. They basically set the stage, set the foundation for them, for him to become a great protege of the apostle Paul, who actually took over for Paul when Paul died. In fact, when Paul was alive, he had Timothy as his delegate to the Ephesian Christian community and the entire Roman province of Asia, his own delegate. That's saying something about Timothy. Timothy, was, uh, Timothy would blow any pastor in America and around the world out of the water. He gets a bad rap because he's, his tears are mentioned by Timothy, as if Timothy was a, a crybaby. People, they're much more emotional in the, uh, in, in, in the Middle East. They're much more You ever been to a, a, a funeral, a, a, someone dies in the Middle East and how they wail? It's, it's amazing, right? It's like not Americans are reserved. We don't like to cry. We like to hold in it. Timothy cried, Paul, the Lord cried, and Paul cried. They all, they, Because they were a different culture than we are. They, they weren't afraid to express their emotions. So Timothy was not a weak sister. Timothy was quite a man. And he's one of those guys, when I get there, he's one of the guys I'm going to want to talk to. So we see that the, now, the noun, graphe here, is modified by the attributive adjective pass, which is translated all in your Bibles. And that actually means not just all, but each and every. Why? Because it pertains this word to totality with emphasis upon a thing's individual components. So the adjective pas is used here without the definite article, which is important, and with the noun graphe. So we see this is significant in Greek grammar. When the adjective is used with a noun in the singular and without the definite article, and the article in English is the, the Greek article can do much more. So, when you have this construction, it emphasizes the individual members of a class that is denoted by the noun. That's what it means. So, we see that uh, therefore, the adjective pas, which is translated all your English translations, is modifying this word scripture, graphe, and it's used in a distributive sense, referring to each and every portion of the Old Testament scripture. That's why. You saw my translation, it said each and every portion. So I explained to you why that is. Now, also, the word God breathe, it's an adjective. It's never used anywhere else in the New Testament. Okay? It means literally God breathe. So it appears only once in the New Testament. And for those who are interested, interesting, that means it's a hapox ligament. And it's a compound word. It's composed of the word theos, God, theos, God, and the word panuo, panelo, excuse me, breathe, or breathe into. So, thus, the etymology of the word, where the, the history of the word, where it came from, suggests the word means breathed by a God, or divinely inspired. So, this word can be viewed as, in a passive sense, emphasizing that the Scripture is the source, okay, is the breath of God, meaning that it originates and comes from God Himself. Or it can be used in an active sense, emphasizing that the Scripture is filled with the breath of God. Don't miss that, meaning it's inspiring. So, this is very important. The word can be used in a passive sense, emphasizing that the scripture's source is the breath of God, meaning that it originates and comes from God himself. If you look at it in an active sense, all right, let me get my slide here to go, it emphasizes that the scripture is filled with the breath of God, meaning it's inspired. So I'm going to choose God-breathed rather than inspired by God because the word's original sense is passive. This is where you you, you do the research. And more importantly, the context indicates a passive sense for the word. So in 2 Timothy 3.16, this word God-breathed, great word, is functioning as a predicate nominative. That means it's making an assertion. It's making an assertion about each and every portion of Scripture, namely that it's God-breathed. Now, I'm getting to a point here, so keep h- hanging there with me. The context indicates that this word is functioning in a predicate relation with graphe, scripture. And so this word, God-breathed, is uh, in a position in the Greek in the, with graphe, which indicates that Paul's making a very solemn assertion regarding the divine origin of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, some argue that the word is in an attributive sense, which means all-breathed scripture is also profitable, However, the apostle's intent in the passage is to reaffirm the Old Testament scriptures originating with God and not man. He's making an assertion about the divine origin of the Old Testament scriptures. And so, very important. So, in our day and age, we need to affirm, emphasize, first with ourselves, the divine origin of the scripture. Think about what I just said. We have to start... It starts with us, before we start talking about anything else. Do we believe that what we're hearing originates from God? That's what Paul's emphasizing with Timothy. Why does he need to tell Timothy this? Because Timothy needs to keep persevering. Timothy needs to keep going and continue on teaching sound doctrine for the Christian community. He needs to continue ordaining men who are going to teach the Word of God. He has to believe this. He has to continue to believe this, and Paul's trying to emphasize with him each and every portion of Scripture. And everything that it affirms, it's originating from God. It's not. It's a human book, yes, but it's a divine book. It's like Jesus. Jesus is both God and man. The Bible is both God and man. Okay. So we need to believe that ourselves. Why do we believe what we believe? So if we believe the Bible is inspired by God. Then, and I, I I've seen this over the years in, in my ministries. People say, I believe the Bible is the word of God. It's inspired by God. Yet when it comes to dealing with the problems, they run to drugs, alcohol, psychology, or a pill, or whatever. They don't really believe it. They're given the, God, they're given the word of God lip service. They don't, far, their hearts are far from God. They don't believe this is inspired by God because they would live their life by it. Every decision they would make, they run it by God's word first. Why? In, in everything, in, 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 in the way we conduct ourselves, what's our attitude toward government? What does the Word of God say? If I believe the Word of God says, it says, you obey your leaders, okay? Even if you don't like them. Look at Daniel, he, he worked for Nebuchadnezzar. You do that, you show respect for the leaders because they originate from God. If you believe the Bible is inspired by God, yours do exactly what it says. But people who don't believe that, they'll, start, they'll show disrespect for the president. Like last night, I was disgraced. It was a disgrace in this country. That they said something while Biden is speaking, the president of the United States. Forget about whether you like him or not. It looks bad for our country. I remember a story of a black man that I know down that uh, uh, downtown that sit by the smoke us Like a cigar. great guy, pa- he was a, he's a Christian pastor, okay, and among other things. So he's like, we're sitting there. He was talking about his father when Nixon got impeached, and they're you know nobody liked Nixon, right? So they they put him on the. Uh, plane and he's leaving and you know, it was a bad so so he, he saw his son which was the guy, the friend I have and he saw his son smiling. He looked at him, and now this guy was a World War II veteran. He looked at his son and he said and his, and his father was crying. He's very bad. He's very bad for our country. Look past the person. You don't like the person? Look past. It's very bad for our country. It's like people when Kennedy was assassinated. There were people that were like Sharing that he got got his head blown off, they hated him in this country. Many people, but it was very bad. It's the president of the United States. We just blew his head off in the middle of Texas in a broad daylight. It doesn't look good for the country. And when President Obama is up there speaking in his in in his uh, State of the Union address, and they're sitting there interrupting his speech. Where's the respect that used to be had for, this, for authority in this country? None. Forget about the personality. Forget about it. But see, I mentioned this. If you believe God's word, God's word says you show respect. When Paul was sitting in Acts, he was sitting there before Gripper and, and, and Felix, and he, the high priest of Israel, and the high priest of Israel, he said, weisbar supper. didn't know it was the high priest, and the soldier slapped Paul. He said, what are you slapping me for? He says, you talk that way to the high priest? Now, the high priest was a criminal himself, but he had a position that was ordained by God, and he's going to be dealt with by God in his position, the way he's doing it. The high priest was a criminal. These people were gangsters in Paul's day. But he showed respect for the position and the office that the man had that was given to him from God. If you believe Scripture, the Scripture says, all authority comes from God. Here's your show, respect, pray for your leaders, and not disrespect leaders. Paul lived in a world that was much more, much worse than ours. We, you know, our people, you know, we have it so good, we don't, even the, the worst leaders that we have couldn't compare to the gangsters that ran Rome. It was totally corrupt, totally corrupt. Totally corrupt. You think gay, lesbian behavior is rampant in our country, and it is. It's nothing the way it was in the, in, in the first century. It was, it was accepted that a man would have homosexual relations with a boy. So God, we have, you know, we have to show respect. God, I say this because if we believe God's word is inspired by God, every word we'll do what it says and show respect for God's word. God says to do this, and I go, "Yes, sir." That's the way we're supposed to do it. It's His word. We should be good soldiers of Christ Jesus. Don't forget about your, pers- your personal likes and dislikes. I don't like any of our leaders, quite frankly, over the years, but doesn't give me the right to speak evil of them. Okay? I show, I'm to show respect for them. Show respect for them. And that knucklehead's out there, and the, they're sitting there interrupting the president's speech and saying stuff. He might be a liar, but that doesn't give you the right to disrespect the office. The office is from God. He'll be held accountable. like They all get, are held accountable. Doesn't Daniel say that? And the scriptures say that? Yes. If God, all authority comes from God, then don't you think God's going to hold these guys to account? Your job is to show respect. Look at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar makes any of our levers look like Mary Poppins, quite frankly. The guy was a butcher, but he showed respect, Daniel did. So did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So I say this. And here's another example. We need to show, that believe that the Word of God is inspired by God. If we do believe that every portion of Scripture is God breathed and the very words of God, that means God's Word has, bears his authority. So we need to live our lives like that. So when the Word of God says, and you're a single Christian person, like I am, the word, says, word of God says, no sex outside of marriage. Okay? You're not to do it. And if you do, well, confess your sin and do what it says. But don't, you know, don't get unequally yoked to a marriage to an unbeliever. That's just prohibited in the Word of God. I won't even... why would not even date a woman. You know, like... like close. Why would I waste my time? But people, Christian... The Christian young people, single people, older people, they don't believe the Word of God. They'll go out and date an unbeliever and marry an unbeliever. They don't believe what God's Word says. They don't believe it's inspired by God. It's the basis for their... If we're going to govern our lives. According to the Word of God, it's only going to happen if we believe that this book is the very words of God. God is speaking to me and you in this book. So important. So in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul is emphasizing with Timothy and the church, which would read this epistle, that the Old Testament scriptures were God-breathed, and that are useful, are thus useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, though God used men to communicate with the human race, through the Bible. The Bible itself originates with God. It is not merely a human book, but also a divine book. The Bible is, is what, and what he's saying here, It's the, this passage, 2 Timothy 3.16, is internal evidence. It's an internal argument in the Scripture itself where the Bible is saying, this, I am inspired by God. If the Bible could per, speak, you know, if you could personify this piece of, this, this book here, okay? No, well, the Bible says, yeah, I, this is the Word of God. It says it of itself, okay it bears evidence that it is we're doing Obadiah, the first sixteen verses of the book, that tiny book it's been fulfilled in history with destruction of Edom by God through the Babylonian empire, fulfilled in history theres that bears, the bears divine authorship right there, fulfilled prophecy. the first look at Daniel, the great book of Daniel, the first cha- chapter two it's almost nearly completely completely fulfilled, only the feet. On the image of, the, of the, the statue, which represents the Roman Empire, is yet to be fulfilled. Everything else on the statue has been fulfilled, and the four beasts in Daniel chapter seven all been fulfilled, except for the ten horns and the little horn, which represent either Christ in the and the, the ten nation European confederacy that He'll reign over during the tribulation period, 70th week of Daniel, all fulfilled in history. Daniel 9:24. To 26, the 70 weeks prophecy, the 490 prophetic years of the nation of Israel, with God's discipline in the nation of Israel, 69 of those weeks, 483 of these prophetic years have been fulfilled in history. And the two events, the events after it, Daniel 9:26, the crucifixion of Christ, and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and the city of Jerusalem itself, all have been fulfilled in history in 70 AD. God saying, Is anybody listen to me? Is anybody in this country in America gonna listen to me? There's a small remnant that will always listen to him. You, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you are my brothers, and my, your mother and my father and my sisters, who will hear the word of God and do it. You're part of that small remnant, people, in this country. It's come down to this. It's not like America was 300 years ago, where we had all kinds of support to live, to live the spiritual life and to study our Bible, and, pa- and the church would be packed out on a Sunday morning. You know? When you were a kid, everybody's Everybody's going to church. Now, you go out, very few people, they're all sleeping off the hangover from last night. They're not going to church on a Sunday morning. They're not going to church on a, on a Wednesday evening. You're part of the remnant in this country that loves the word of God, and you're, by the fact that you're here on a Wednesday night, and some of you don't feel you have illnesses and, and sick and battling stuff, and you're here. Your back's killing you. Some of you can't even sit in these seats very long because your back's killing you. Well, you know, of you don't. Under, I understand that. I res- appreciate that. I respect that, and keep doing that. Keep persevering. You bear testimony that you believe that this book is inspired by God, and I'm going to run. My, I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, even if it kills me, even if it hurts my back so much I can't even get out of the chair. Okay, so we have to keep this in mind. All Scripture is God breathed. So therefore, we'll close with this: the Bible is a unique book. Like Jesus Christ is the unique theanthropic person of history, the God-man. The Bible is a unique book because it's both human and divine, just like Jesus Christ, who's both man and God. Again, the Bible's a unique book because it's both human and divine, just like Jesus Christ, who's both God and man. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you for your people that are here this evening. They value your word. They're here tonight, and they're here all the time. Many of them are all here, always all here, and they care about your word, and I thank you, Father, for them. And I just pray, Father, that they would be encouraged. And for those who might be listening that are, are, have not taken the word of God seriously, that might be listening to these, the, po- the podcast or our various websites, I pray that we, they would receive this conviction with humility and make proper changes in their life to... Uh, live their lives and make decisions and and form attitudes based upon what this book says, your word, your almighty word, which is alive and powerful, that can change our lives. And I just thank you, Father, for your word. And I just pray, Father, that you would do a mighty work through the spirit in this lesson here this evening. In our great God and Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I'd like to sing us a song before we uh, get out of here. And um, we'll do this one. It's a little ballad. I wrote this one out when I was feeling a little bit down about myself. I was having a bad period. (laughs) Let's get up in the water here. It's nice to see the sun hasn't set yet, or it just said. It's going to.
1: Stephen hated you, you still loved me Though consumed with selfishness, anger lies and bitterness, you still love me Oh, I so deserve your rejection But your love, your great love is unconditional. Yes, your love, your great love is unconditional. Though I've had no time for you, I was filled with pride, ungrateful too, you still love me. Though I've turned my heart away, constantly have gone astray, you still love me. Oh, I so deserve your rejection. No, I don't deserve your affection But your love, your great love is unconditional Yes, your love, your great love is unconditional Yes, your love is unconditional. Yes, your love is unconditional. Dismissed.